Damn you, ice cream. Come into my mouth. <laughs> so, I guess we're talking about Symphony of the Night. Yeah, sure. I think we better at least make some progress on declaring the winner of the case closed. Oh, shit. Did you, did you read the emails? All three of them? No. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Okay, well, I'm going to put my vote in for the guy that caught his girlfriend cheating on him using only an ashtray. Really? <laughs> yeah. It was pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm really a fan of um, the one where the guys, he finds the people, the the people from Saint Seiya with their heads exploded but their bodies imploded. <laughs> if only for that reason. It's tough choices. I kind of want to send them all case closed DVDs. But we only have one. And I don't want to spend money. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'll spend the three dollars to ship it. Now, now, they knew they were entering a cutthroat competition for this anime DVD. On our podcast. I mean, this is the internet. I don't know. I guess we're going to have to deliberate some more. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Stay tuned for the next one. We will have decided by then. Maybe. Cross your fingers. <laughs> anyway, today is a podcast. The date, February 14th. Happy Valentine's Day. I still have to Losers. Think. I have to figure out what I'm doing for that. Oh, Kathy won't listen to this, but there's this chocolate store in the um, Reading Terminal Market that sells chocolate hearts that are anatomically correct. Yeah. So it's it looks like a, you know, I mean, it's not the same size as a human heart, but it's got, you know, all the, it, it looks like an actual heart, not the stupid yeah. two, I don't even know how, but like a candy heart. The, the meme heart. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one I, I'm going to get that one for so that it can be cool. How coincidental. I was going to get that one as well. Really? No. But I'm like, now. It is, it's pretty neat. Actually, I was going to call her work and see if I could place an order on the phone for flowers from her work to her. For like, you know, the least work ever involved. <laughs> like. But at the same time, so much thought because she told me they're going to put her on the flowers table. Oh, really? So she like would get next there? Next week. Yeah, and then, I, I don't know, maybe she would So she would be assembling her own presents? Yes. Yeah, That's would. pretty cool. I, I like it. It's sort of the slave mentality to Valentine's Day. I don't know. I can imagine that's a pretty good gift just because she'll be at work and she'll be like, oh, work sucks. And yeah. then she gets to make herself a bouquet. That's what I'm thinking because she always comes home complaining about how work sucks. I'm like, at least you'll have one day where you can't complain. So everybody wins. It's so not, there you go. It's Valentine's Day for me too. <laughs> as far as the, we don't need otaku dating advice. Yeah. Erwin uh, Rosales, we thank you for the email, but we weren't asking for dating advice. We were... <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty much uh... looking to give it. I think we're both pretty sealed in as far as these things are concerned. Joel, maybe more so than me. Yeah, my uh, my relationship is actually legally binding at this point. <laughs> there would be real repercussions. Sign a prenup. Take half your Xbox. Yeah, no, <laughs> my Xbox. Yeah, you can have the half that doesn't work, which is all of it. Uh, I left it in my the trunk of my car, my old Xbox. I left it in the trunk of my car for yeah. probably a month. And when I brought it back in for a day, I guess it had to, I don't know, thaw out or something because it would not work. And even after that, it, I still have never beaten uh, Kingdom Under Fire, the cru- whatever the Crusaders. Joel, take solace in the fact that your Xbox, or your 360 rather, actually works. It's true. That is so irritating that mine broke two months after having bought it. <laughs> I mean, I knew this was a possibility. And there, the repairs are free. Have have you received any information on the progress? I got an email that said, "We got your Xbox, and we are committed to returning it to you in as fast a manner as possible." 
I was like, great. So never. Yeah, but it's gonna be like three weeks probably. Oh, that's lame. It's so weak because I know they treat this like every other electronics manufacturer. Somebody sends their Xbox in. They <laughs> send him the last guy's Xbox. Then they fix his Xbox and send it to the next guy. So you like, just, you just there shouldn't be any downtime. Yeah, you just have to hope that uh, you were the first guy that had their Xbox break, so you could actually get the new one. <laughs> it would be really nice if I could just keep turning in Xboxes until uh, whenever they roll out this supposed Xbox that's supposed to have 1080p through HDMI, really, and the quieter disc drive and. It's a whole bunch of things that don't really matter, but would still be nice to With have. your ridiculously loud sound system, you're worrying about this, like, the noise from the disc? Well, I don't know. It's still very loud, and the it's processor true. is very loud. So, one of the things is supposed to be a cooler processor, which maybe would prevent my Xbox from breaking. <laughs> which, God! Oh, yeah. have, have we told the story here? Of how like, it stopped working? Yeah. I mean, what is there to tell? It, I don't know. You it, got the red light of death. Yeah, it just kept freezing over and over again. You know what I blame? Crackdown. Exactly. I think that the much as a human would reject an organ transplant. Yeah. You, so your Xbox rejected it's like Crackdown. It's like a monkey heart in a human. It's like we really hope this works because if it rejects it, Lord have mercy. <laughs> and he did not. It's true. I didn't have any problems until I started downloading that Crackdown demo. And that's when it all began. So Xbox. Now here I Microsoft. am with no Xbox Live. And who knows when Castlevania Symphony of the Night is coming out, coincidentally, the subject of our podcast. Yeah, it was a bad time to go down because, was it, isn't Symphony of the Night out? Uh, potentially it could be out today, but Ooh. we're not really sure. What am I doing here with you jerks? It's rumored. Hey, <laughs> there's only one jerk here. I could Besides be out the there two jerks being... playing WoW <laughs> in the other room. I could be at home cheating... Using uh, the Alucard shield and the uh, shield rod. Forget that. Man, It's a, if you want to cheat in that game, it's all about using the luck code to give yourself 99 luck and yes. one in every other stat. <laughs> so you take one hit and die, but at the same time, you get crazy drops. <laughs> well, yeah, the first time you go into the library, Chris Grimm, automatic. Yeah, pretty much. As opposed to having to kill... Like a three hundred of, of those heads or whatever. Yeah, the flying heads. Schmooze, they were called. <laughs> Schmooze. That's exactly what I expect to encounter in a uh, in a Upside demon a demonic castle. Obsequious ghosts. <laughs> like, hey, how's it going? Take my business card. Have you seen our latest product? <laughs> what would it take for me to put you in a chrysogram today? <laughs> Your death. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And a 0.45% drop rate. <laughs> but yes, if it isn't already obvious, Dave and I really like Symphony of the Night. Symphony of the Night was like a revolution as far as Castlevania games are concerned. Because basically, they had Castlevania and they were like, our series is sort of stagnating. And then they looked at Super Metroid and they were like, we could steal this. <laughs> And then, they, and then Castlevania Symphony of the Night was born. Does Super Metroid have a role-playing component? Well, it's got the exploration and new equipment and stuff like that. But didn't old Metroid have the exact same thing? It was well, just they, basically an open world that you wandered around collecting equipment? Yeah. Which was the exact same thing as Castlevania 2? Yes, I guess so. But Metroid did precede Castlevania 2, <laughs> even though Castlevania 2 was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of my favorite ones. I don't know how I ever figured out anything in that game. 
Because, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and they introduce all these new idioms. It was a pretty far-reaching game for the time, which is probably why, I mean, people on the internet talk about it now like it was really great. But I think back then, it was a little too out there for most people. And as a six-year-old trying to figure out what to do with Dracula's heart... That was even the hardest thing. Like, remember when you first... You, took, the... you had to walk to a wall at night and drop it. I don't remember that. Isn't that how you, like, unlock some door? There's this, there's a dead-end wall, and you have to be there at night with Dracula's heart to have something happen. I remember having to go to a dead-end wall and kneel down with one of the crystals equipped for, like... That's probably what I'm thinking about. Yeah. for the tornado to come pick you up. <laughs> that was, like, the whole game was puzzles <laughs> like that. All those invisible floors in the mansion. Yeah. Or, sorry, not invisible. What Fall through floors. Yeah. They look like real floors, but you just fall right through them. And there's no warning at all. If you I, just have to know. I think there were invisible floors, too. That you just had to know were there. <laughs> that was These a rough the, game. Especially in those days of unforgiving Nintendo games where if you died, it was like, continue at the last town, sucker. Yeah. Have fun walking back. You didn't want to risk just jumping anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, so you'd, you'd arrive at these points in that game where you'd be sweating over the decision you were about to make. There must have been so many... Uh, when that game came out, I'm sure pedi- pediatricians experienced a rash of ulcers in like yeah. 9 and 10 year olds. Post-traumatic stress. These kids are really stressed out. What's going on? Flashbacks to going to the graveyard at night. I gotta get the golden knife. <laughs> it's so strong. <laughs> and uh, in keeping with that tradition... Of the impossible puzzle, or the puzzle you would never even know existed unless somebody told you, or you're just incredibly lucky or thorough. Yeah. Uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night has two parts. Yeah. You could unbeknownst, you could beat this game and think, and "Wow, this game sucks." It. Yeah. This is the worst ending ever. What the heck? However, it wasn't the end. If you had had the golden, the uh, holy, gl- the, the holy, holy glasses. glasses. Yeah, the holy goggles. I always want to call them holy glasses because holy goggles sounds, sounds like ridiculous. It's like the holy because like like whenever swim I swim goggles. Yeah, when I think of goggles, I think of those stupid goggles with the the foam around the outside. <laughs> they have to like push against your eyes, but they never keep the chlorine out. What's the point of those goggles? Yeah. It's they don't work. And it's like you're marinating my eyeballs in yeah, pool as soon water. As the water gets in there. It's like just there against <laughs> your eyes. It's you, like you're yeah, not even getting some circulation. I thought this was supposed to protect me, not intensify it. <laughs> Yeah, so you have the holy goggles, and you go to the last fight, and you see... The archpriest shaft. The archpriest shaft. Shut your mouth. I'm just talking about shaft. I can dig it. What an unfortunately named priest. Yeah. Even in ni- or 1792, that, you knew. That wasn't a good name. So uh, you see him, and you kill him instead of... Richter. Yeah, Richter. And then the upside-down castle is revealed to you. And you're like, wow, the upside-down castle... Is a hell of a lot harder yeah. than the right side up castle. You go to the upside down castle at first, and you're like, "Oh well, this isn't too bad." And then you fight the uh, the green skeletons that shoot the lasers at you and basically <laughs> kill you in one shot. You're like, "Oh, this game has upped the ante, yeah. significantly." And then you do you even in the right side up castle? Do you fight any of those enormous bosses like the Minotaur or? Uh, there are some that are pretty big. You. In the Upside Down Castle, you fight stuff like Beezlebub, yeah. who's the hanging corpse with all the giant flies that attack you. Yeah. And that's pretty magnificent. It's a <laughs> large-scale boss encounter. And you also fight uh, the Grand Falloon, which is that big ball of corpses. Yeah, that, that was a rough one. Followed in every other 
Castlevania game now. Well, that's a pretty. I mean, it's noticeable. Yeah, it's a pretty unique <laughs> character design. Yeah, of, uh, when you come up with something like that, you kind of you, you know milk it. I guess you want to milk it, but I I just can't imagine you know beating something like that. It's like I, you guys have come up with this concept for a boss. It's a uh, a ball of corpses. Or do you mean like a pile of corpses? No, it's it's an active ball. It rolls around, attacks you, shoots off corpses. Uh, you have to get to the center by you know killing corpses. Yeah. And then everybody Knocking else just starts crumpling jump. up paper and swearing like, "Damn it!" Yeah, one guy's got like a a sketch of a mermaid. <laughs> Shoots water, question mark. It's got an arrow pointing to it. Another guy, like, looks down at paper, evil unicorn, just tries to hide it in his notebook, (laughs) shuffling paper on top of it. What do you have there? Oh, nothing. This is my laundry list. (laughs) By tide. Whatever, man. I came up with those mermen in Castlevania 1. You owe me. God, F those mermen. In the one one, one room they were in. They were so hard. Because... I don't know what algorithm had them popping up, but they would just shoot out of the water. Ran- yeah. And it wouldn't even be fair because sometimes they would shoot up one after another in columns that we could you couldn't avoid. Yeah. Sort of like in chess when the, your opponent has two rooks and you've got like a pawn and your king and you're just like, I am so boned because they just keep on chopping off sections of the board. That's what those mermen would do. Just like pop. Boop. You'd always stand at the end of the ledge and wait for one to come up so you can whip it and then jump across. But in the first Castlevania, you couldn't control your jump. So halfway through, you'd see the guy pop up, but you still have the whole jump to complete before you hit him and fell into the water. That was an unforgiving. And those like huge chunks of water would fly out when you hit it. It looked like. I always thought it was ice. I was like, wow, that water's really cold. <laughs> because when you're eight years old, it makes more sense that you'd fall into ice and die than you're this world-famous vampire hunter that can't swim. <laughs> Much like Unbreakable, yeah. water is a weak weakness. Yeah, I agree. Then again, once you fall into the water, you are in the habitat of the merman. Yeah, maybe, maybe they just assume... If they're that agile on land... Yeah, it's sort of like... Being able to walk and shoot fireballs. <laughs> underwater, it's got to... I, you might not necessarily be able to shoot fire underwater, but they also had claws and sharp teeth. I mean, who are we fooling? They never attacked with that. Simon though. Belmont was done. Not even Trevor Belmont could stand up to that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Symphony of the Night, uh, I never really played it, and I only really discovered it in college because I never had a PlayStation, but I had a roommate who did have a PlayStation. Now, I heard you talk about Symphony of the Night, but he... uh. He finally brought his PlayStation from home, and he brought Symphony of the Night with him. And, you know, of course, for the next month and a half, I played Symphony of the Night forever <laughs> and always. God, I couldn't tell you how many times I beat that game, uh, whatever, as a kid. And I, when I was in high school, I was still of the mind that selling games was a good idea. I've come to realize that it's not, unless it's an absolutely terrible game that you shouldn't have bought in the first place. Because chances are, if you've enjoyed a game... In the future, you would like to enjoy it again. So yeah. I sold Symphony of the Night, and not realizing how rare it would become, and eventually managed to get my hands on a greatest hits copy for $10, much to the chagrin of the internet, but not really to me. There's this like pathos on the internet that you're not supposed to buy greatest hits copies, or if you do, you're not a cool dude. Well, it's that whole collectorism yeah. we've been talking about. The only difference is there's this idiotic looking green band on the case that says greatest hits. But uh, the game is still exactly. It's not the like same. the green band appears on the screen while yeah. you're playing. It doesn't letterbox it in. Or anything. <laughs> well, 
Well, the other, I don't even, I don't own a copy of Symphony of the Night because I never, I mean, I had a PlayStation maybe for like six months, but then I sold it to get a GameCube, which was not a bad decision. Um, but yeah, I mean, the next time I play this game is probably going to be the Xbox Live download of it. And I'm super excited for that. Yes. I don't know if we've really been clear enough about what Symphony of the Night is, but to go into detail for those that don't know, even though you probably should, because it was one of the most popular games on the PlayStation. Yeah, if you don't know what it is, stop listening to this podcast, nerd. And if you started <laughs> on uh, the DS or the Game Boy ones, you got to respect your roots. As not far-flung back roots as they are. It's well, not, the, it's not the, like Toby in Africa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you won't even be disappointed. It's not like respecting your roots where you go and suffer through this really crappy gameplay. And yeah, you don't have to play Castlevania 1, which... It's fun, in a way. It's nostalgic. Ball-bustingly hard in <laughs> yeah. another. Once you... I mean, you thought the mummy was hard. And then you fight Frankenstein and those little gargoyle guys. And you're like, I don't know... Oh, my God. Frankenstein and Igor was... I went, when, I, uh, when I had Castlevania in my Nintendo, I remember the night I almost beat it. I never actually beat <laughs> Castlevania because the second form of Dracula was so hard. And yeah. also, I was eight. Andrew was sleeping over, and he had fallen asleep, and I was still playing. And I must have fought the Grim Reaper like 150 times. <laughs> and I, because, you know, in these games, you start at the checkpoint or whatever. When you continue, you got to fight through half the level to get to the boss. Yeah. And I finally beat him, and I was like, Fucking, I'm like cursing and kicking the van. I'm like, get up, get up. I beat the Grim Reaper. He's like, who? Can we play Civilization? Shut up. Play console games. They're more fun and crowd-oriented. <laughs> Except for Castlevania. It was one player. But that's fine. Anyway, so Symphony of the Night is like a role-playing game slash action slash actually fun despite combining the two of those things <laughs> yeah you really wonder how a genre the base i don't even know if this really started the genre but what is everybody else doing it certainly you've already got the perfect example very successful yeah as opposed to all these other ridiculous action role-playing games that are crap uh most noticeably games like Baldur's gate for the playstation 2 and games of that ilk dungeon crawlers yeah dungeon crawlers discussed last week which are just the, the poorest choice you could make. <laughs> well, what's, it is kind of interesting that uh, this game really... It is a lot like a dungeon crawler mm-hmm. in one sense. The only, I think what the real difference is that uh, leveling up is the same sort of, I don't know, transparent process that it is in every other game. I mean, you take more hits, but nothing yeah, really changes. You it out better. But the items make a huge difference in this game. Yeah. When you find your first flaming sword or uh, Chris Grimm or whatever, or the shield rod that lets you cast spells depending on the shield you have equipped, it really feels like a different game or that your character has significantly changed. Whereas in Baldur's Gate, you get a battle axe that does 174 damage, where before you had a Warhammer that did 154. And it's exciting, but it's not as as exciting as it could be. And the other thing is, you don't even really notice that those changes are taking place because there's 30 enemies on the screen. And as soon as you're you... a real, you're pretty small, and you're just, you know, you're just chopping them up. Even if you're doing flame damage, and there's a neat flame, I don't know, graphic that comes along with that. You're doing that graphic once every five seconds, also, so it gets old. When you get the hammer that does 174 damage, now enemies have 20 more hit points. Yeah. 
it, they always scale up with you, so you never really feel like you're making a lot of progress. Whereas in this, you get the Alucard sword near the end of the game, and everything just dies when you look at it. <laughs> and yeah, and the whole everything is always open to you. I mean, there are certain you you go to certain areas, you know, in a sequence, but you can always backtrack, and you can always get. They, they control it with items, kind of like what Metroid did. Yeah. Your access to different points is controlled by your ability. You can't go certain places yeah. until you get the You know, Metroid jump. and Zelda and, like, all those, they all do the same thing. But in, like, Baldur's Gate, it's just a straight line. Yeah. So you never get to return to the first level well, and never... punk those zombies that were underneath the, uh, the church yeah, and there, feel really cool. There's never that feeling of excitement when you find the mist form and you go, oh, now I can go through all those grates yeah. everywhere. And basically... They hit upon this formula, and this was the first uh, Castlevania game that this guy... That was the first one he directed or had a principal part in. And then they were like, okay, you can just do all the Castlevanias from now on. Or all the good ones, which are all the handheld ones. Whereas other people have done the PS2 and Xbox games. Like, and the Nintendo... Don't forget the Nintendo 64 debacle. Well, I think... Symphony of the Night was definitely before that. Was it? Yeah. Well, the, yeah, that game was terrible as well. But Lament of Innocence for the PS2 was kind of decent, but that was the best 3D outing we've had so far. I haven't played Curse of Darkness, but I hear it's embarrassingly bad. Really? Scabs likes it, which is not an indication of poor quality, usually. <laughs> so, they made three of these games for the Game Boy Advance, which are basically the same thing. They kind of had to start in rough territory because the Game Boy just wasn't up to the standards of the PS2. Too. Though I questioned the ability to not include things like different weapons. Like, it wasn't until the third game that you really had different weapons you could equip. Really? In, in the first one for the Game Boy Advance, which was Circle of the Moon, you could equip these cards that would sort of change your weapon. You always had a whip, mm -hmm. but if you equipped certain cards, you could have, like, a flame whip. Which That's kind of cool, I guess. different, but not spectacular. In the second one, there were little parts you could equip to your whip. But there were only four of them, maybe. So you could have heavy whip tip that would break walls, or platinum tip that would do more damage. And why would the platinum tip do more damage than the one that could break walls? Yeah, good question. I don't know. <laughs> and in that one, I guess they kind of tricked you into thinking you had some options because you could get magic spells and equip different sorts of books. So if you got the, the knife or the holy water and you equipped ice, maybe you get some freezing holy water or freezing knife. Which I guess was kind of interesting. But it wasn't really until Aria of Sorrow that it really opened up and you were getting like different weapons, like in the Symphony of the Night days. So, when I picked up the first Game Boy Advance games, I was a little disappointed. Because to go from so high to Symphony of the Night to still playable but not great yeah. is kind of crushing. And they all have the fake ending where there's another castle. I forget what it is in Circle of the Moon, but in Harmony of Dissonance, the second one, there's the alternate castle or something where you have to teleport back and forth between the two to get to certain parts huh anyway once i got to the ds they were basically working with the same level of hardware sad as that sounds to say so the first game for the ds Ari of sorrow is pretty awesome and included a lot of cool things that you really wish were in civil night looking back like they have this thing where you can get an item that lets you swap between two sets of equipment at the push of a button nice. so you don't have to go through your inventory which is i'm all for games that give you as much convenience as possible because it's so annoying in games like devil may cry where you're using the handguns and you want to use a shotgun 
So it's going to the menu and push this and push this. Well, didn't they add a fast switch in Devil May Cry 3? Yeah, too bad Devil May Cry 3 sucked. Yeah. Well, it was better than 2, but it wasn't as good as 1. Yeah. So I beat it once and was like, well, you're not great. It was too goofy and stupid. Those cutscenes were dumb as hell when he attacks the flying things with the motorcycle yeah the motorcycle he uses as nunchucks while flying through the air <laughs> and then rides down the side of the building yeah i've had enough pretty thank you very much okay i get it he's extreme please give me my coat and hat but anyway have we convinced you that you should buy symphony of the night when it comes out immediately i want whatever that is the microsoft server hosting this game to crash because, because the so number of people, people trying to hit it. I think it's only going to be something like $12 or less. I think people have estimated 1,200 Microsoft points, which is like 12 bucks, Or maybe 15 But still, it's well within what I'm willing to pay for it. And you'll... I mean, I paid $60 for Gears of War. Yeah. Which was a nine-hour fun game. But oh. I could pay $12 for Symphony of the Night, which is a 30-hour... Really fun game. Basically, infinite replayability as well. Yeah. Because this is one of those games I'll just pick up every year or so, like Parasite Eve and Zone Enders 2. <laughs> Whenever I feel lonely and there just aren't any games coming out to suit me. God, I beat Parasite Eve 2, and now I'm started on the bounty mode. where you Oh, like no. Golems all game. It's so much fun. <laughs> I love it because they just throw the heavy-duty hardware at you, like, immediately. Yeah. You get the laser stun gun attachment to you for your rifle in like the second area and from that it's just killing genetically engineered cyborgs which are the only kind of cyborgs i ever want to kill that's the business do you ever i don't understand the combination of genetic engineering and cyborg technology well don't you really shouldn't you really have to choose you can enhance humans with robot parts or you can enhance humans with genetic engineering well if you're gonna have some human skills stuff in there because cyborgs are part man part machine obviously you want to have all all parts bringing their a game to the panel <laughs> and besides i don't know maybe you need genetic engineering to handle those ridiculous lightsabers they have that aren't really lightsabers maybe but, you should just like go boxes with lasers in them <laughs> maybe you should just go fully robot at that point like if the only thing that could be human would be the brain i guess i mean if you're already if you've already some created the shell thing. Well no, but if you've already created the technology to fuse human uh biological systems with mechanical parts, what's the advantage of keeping the human part? It's true. Like if you anchored an a mechanical arm to a human shoulder, you wouldn't be able to lift one of those ridiculous cartoon weights, the yeah. triangle weights with the two tons on them. Because your arm would just rip off the shoulders <laughs> despite being strong enough to pick it up. However, if you were just a brain housed in a robot body but then, I really think it's to bring up the ire of their combatants. Because what can you hate more than the ultimate perversion of the flesh? Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, not only are you, uh, I don't know, maybe just to, like piss off Europe. Oh, we hate genetically modified anything. Yeah, when... And robots. God, it makes me so mad. Callan and I had this discussion, quote unquote, <laughs> about genetically engineered meat. And she was like, I think it's a terrible thing that they're doing this. And I was like, I think it's awesome. Because now they can just grow meat in a lab with, you know, you can take a drop of chicken blood. In theory, this is all working towards this. 
you can take this drop of chicken blood and make a chicken breast out of it. I think that's great. Now I'm with Peter you. can't be like, well, you're torturing the animals because there's never an animal to begin with. This is, I mean, I'm with you so far as I, I think the technology could be used to, you know, feed hungry people and sustain the environment because it's no longer necessary well, to, what... you know, create these enormous complexes designed yeah, for raising food. On the other hand, vegetables are far more, or crops are far more efficient to raise in space than animals are. In space yeah. being in well, you an get, area of space, not space like like a field of wheat. Are. A field of wheat will will give Feed you a lot more people, people than, than a field a, of cows. Yeah, the same size. A field cows. of cows. It's like oh, the cows are coming up good, <laughs> growing up the stalks. Break that one off. It looks right. Oh, it's gonna taste it. Chop off the head. Yeah, it's almost there. <laughs> but uh, I did. I, as with all technologies, I'm just suspicious of it because I think it'll just let humans sort of engage in, you know, fatuous indulgence, and it won't be a benefit to the poor. Well, one could always hope. Plus, I really <laughs> want to eat. I really want to eat a chicken that had no mother. That's, <laughs> There's that's nobody like, to feel bad for. I get that is an advantage because sometimes when you're eating, you kind of think about. I don't. But well, I, I never do that some people do. Maybe when I was little, I did. No, but. I really have no compassion for these animals. <laughs> no matter how many times people tell me about the pigs and like know they're going to die before they're slaughtered, I'm like, yeah. As long as I'm not there watching it, it really doesn't affect me. Really? They say the pigs know they're going to die before Something they're slaughtered? Like that, that they're intelligent enough to know that other pigs are getting killed in front of them. Unlike cows who just walk up that ramp and, and they're like, oh, what's going on here? <laughs> Nail gun, junk. <laughs> I suppose that's better than the way they used to do it, which was just clubbing them in the head with a sledgehammer and hoping they the, died. Yeah, and hoping the first swing took. Well, I guess with pigs they do. They like basically saw their necks open. Yeah, it's not a very friendly procedure. So instead, we could just give them like a needle and draw some pig blood and start making genetically engineered bacon. And like I said, I really want to eat something without a mother because that's like some. <laughs> Shakespearean shit, like uh, <laughs> like Macbeth. Like, yeah, that's really messed up. Of no man, no woman born or whatever. I really want to get to that level <laughs> with basically everything in my life, but especially food. <laughs> this really roundabout way of using language to describe something is <laughs> horrifying. Yeah, horrifyingly awesome. I got to think that if anything's going to bring a zombie plague onto the planet, it's going to be like, genetically engineered. engineered. Fortunately, it'll be zombie chicken breasts and having no limbs or even joints. It just kind of like flop disconcertingly. Anything. It's like, oh, this is gross. <laughs> it's a plague. It's destroying us. People just pick them up and drop them in the trash <laughs> bag. And then we ship them off to like Africa for Red Cross or whatever. And, and then the Africans eat them and then... We got zombies. But it doesn't matter. Because, hey, we don't care about Africa already. <laughs> so this would just it's give like, them oops. the excuse. Uh, it's probably some new form of AIDS, Johnson. They brought that on themselves. <laughs> just like AIDS. Eating too many monkey brains. Oh, my God. And anyway, the point of this discussion is to say that Symphony of the Night is awesome. Yeah. Just like genetically engineered chicken. Or really any chicken. chicken I'm, a, I'm a big fan of chicken. Chicken cheesesteaks are pretty good. Delicious. Depending on the source. But that is the case with all cheesesteaks. 
So in Symphony of the Night, despite the fact that you play a total fruit, who <laughs> we didn't get into that part. Yeah, Alucard is a total fruit, but then so are all the men in this game, except for maybe the notable exceptions of Death because he has no face. What are you talking about? Hair. The Belmonts aren't. Richter is. Well, I'm talking about like Simon, the early Belmonts. Okay, well they had Simon Belmont was all man. Did you ever? See that Nintendo Power that almost got banned? It was for Simon's Quest when that was coming out. It was some guy holding this decapitated Dracula head and looking real angry. And keep in mind that this is on a magazine intended for children <laughs> of our age in the 1980s. I did not see that one, but that's hilarious. Try to find that picture on the internet because it's a, it's a winner. It's a winner. Ha ha ha. Joel, Cookie Mama is no substitute for the love of a good woman. Stop trying to use it to fill the hole in your empty heart. Oh. What the crap were we talking about this time? I don't even know anymore, man. Um, 